Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. And welcome to Fast Break Breakfast MBA Podcast. My name is Keith here alone once again for a solo interview episode chuck and john will be back in a little bit it's going to be next week before we all get back together but i will still have two episodes with interviews uh this week i had kind of a fun weekend going to the grizzlies night at the nashville sounds a minor league baseball team in nashville the Grizzlies night was Wade Baldwin was there throwing out the first pitch. When he threw out the first pitch, they read off his stats from the season. It seemed demeaning. Averaged 2.3 points, 1.1 rebounds, appearing in 60 games. I'm making that up. I could have literally looked it up. I did not. Anyway, seemed demeaning. However, Wade did throw a strike, it appeared, from my angle. Only other news to report from the Grizzlies night at the Sounds game. Originally, it was announced that Brandon Wright and Wade Baldwin four were coming, but Brandon Wright was kind of a silent removal from the Nashville trip, so I don't want to read anything into that, but it is August, and he uh, didn't come back to his hometown of Nashville. That's starting Grizzlies power forward, Brandon Wright. A reminder that during the month of August... And probably September, if you write a five-star iTunes review, we will read it on air and give you a shout-out. You can just compliment our show if you want, or you can plug your Twitter or your band or your own podcast, whatever it might be. Helps us out, we think, and we'll give you a shout-out. So write a five-star iTunes review. Also, if you want to support Fast Break Breakfast, the best way to do that is go to patreon.com slash breakfast. You can join the Patreon. There are a few different reward levels. Uh, just a buck a month means a bunch to us. Helps us keep the show going. So if you're interested, if you've listened for a while and maybe you think you want to throw us a couple bucks, you can do that at patreon.com slash breakfast. My guest today is a prolific freelancer who has appeared many, many places. He has at one point hosted Locked on Knicks. He's not currently doing it. And when he uh, agreed to come on this show, he did it under the condition he didn't have to talk about the Knicks. So, Mr. Jared Dubin, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thank you for having me. Uh, Happy to have you. You do live in New York, though, right? I do. Okay, so we don't have to talk about the Knicks, but since we always ask our guests about breakfasts, I'll maybe ask you, uh, one, what is your big city uh, breakfast routine, if you have one? Yeah, I usually will get uh, like an egg and cheese on a bagel is my go-to breakfast. Yeah, that's perfect. Are, are you? Are, do you have a, a go-to spot that you always hit up? Yeah, there's one around the corner, but because I uh, had surgery and couldn't walk for like 
six weeks, I also started ordering from other places. So yeah, I yeah. varied it up over the last couple months. That sounds, I know being immobilized after surgery is no good. However, right now, talking to you this morning, the idea of having breakfast food delivered to me for a long time, seems, <laughs> it's just, it seems amazing. Yeah, honestly, everybody, like, at, at least everybody that works from home, I know a lot of people get um, basically everything delivered because it just saves you so much time. Yeah. And, like, this is probably the the world leader in Seamless and Uber Eats and Postmates orders in New York. Yeah. I feel like. So. I've never... I haven't jumped in to the delivery food thing. Like in Nashville, we have a lot of different options. I've just never tried one. And I feel like if I did, I would then become addicted to having the food brought to me. But then also the, the flip side of that is I have a, I have a two and a half year old and mm. going to like spending 20 minutes to, to go pick up the food is like free time. It's like, oh, no, no, like I'll go, I'll go out in the car <laughs> and just have 20 minutes where I can try to listen to a podcast, you know, and, and, and get it over. But anyway. Yeah, the thing is here, <laughs> you're not really going to pick anything up unless it's walking distance. Yeah. You're going to drive in the city to go pick up food. That's, that's not a good plan. <laughs> yeah. But that's where you listen to all those good podcasts. That's the thing. The, uh, yeah. I feel like in the South, we want our podcast to be 15 minutes because that's like our commute times. We're like, we don't have, we're not on a train for 45 minutes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I like, a, I like a, a one to two subway ride length podcast so that I can listen either on the way there or there and back. Right. And that's the thing. Again, like some of these, uh, I, like I don't have a job where I can listen to podcasts. So a lot of these, like there's some like two hour podcasts where I'm like, this is like, that's like a week of work, like, like trying yeah. for, for me to get through it. Anyway, we keep our podcast on these interviews, uh, normally 25, 30 minutes. Hopefully that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a Nashville commute in my mind. Uh, anyway, so outside of talking about Knicks, you mentioned a few topics that you were interested in. Uh, you said you like defense, guys who play angry and tall ball handlers. I want to start with the last one. Uh, tall ball handlers. What what is that? What does that mean for you? Are we just talking about Nikola Jokic bringing the ball up the court, or like what what's uh, what do you find enjoyable about a tall ball handler? Just the different angles they can see. Like you know, Jason Kidd, six five point guard, saw things that nobody else could see. Giannis at like six eleven, being a primary ball handler, is the most interesting thing in the league to me. Like that's why you know I talked last year, you know, several times about who you would start a franchise with out of like the quote unquote unicorn guys. And to me, he's like the obvious choice when you have someone, you know, that good and that talented, the tiebreaker to me is the fact that they can be a primary ball handler also. And, you know, the fact that he does that, like can be a guy that initiates the offense, not just in the half court, but for, through the full court consistently um, is really, really special. And I love watching guys like that. So you think Giannis is uniquely set up to like have your team built around them? And, and if that's the case, why aren't the Bucks that good? They're just struggling to, to find the pieces to, to put around them? I mean, he's, you know, what is he, 22, oh, 23? Yeah, yeah he's, you know, he's They've got a lot of time to be really good. And last year was really the first year that he took the leap into being that primary ball handler type. And there were certainly, I think, better than expected last year. Yeah. And it's also like... You can only be so good when you're wasting so much money on, like, John Henson and Toledovich and Spencer Hawes and Della Badova. You know, if you had actually $50 million worth of players as guys, then 
they'd be a lot better. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, although they did, they did get rid of Miles Plumley, the man who keeps moving with that. Uh... They did. They did. <laughs> that was such a bad cut. Con- oh my god. That, that but it's t- also like the you know having a a guy that's a primary ball hunter that, that that's that big, it allows you to pursue certain kinds of players that don't necessarily cost as much as other kinds. Like you don't have to get, um, you know, an initiator at point guard necessarily. You know, you can play with Malcolm Brogdon at point guard and save yourself a bunch of money over having to get one of the you know star point guard types. And, you know, you see it with other guys that are wing primary initiators. It lets you get flexible in the building of your team just because of what those type of players can do. I'm a Grizzlies fan. How much is Tyreek Evans? How, how much does he either break or slide into that uh, archetype of player? Um, it's interesting. I'm being slightly tongue in cheek. Just so you, we don't know you that well. I'm all right. No, but, no, but, no. But go, go I, ahead. <laughs> I understand. Um, I mean, look. Tyreek as a rookie, you would have thought he fit perfectly into that mold, right? But obviously over the rest of his career, he's turned out to be more of an initiator for himself than for others. And the fact that he can't really shoot from outside sort of cuts off his angles to passing. I mean, I, I think he's an interesting player, and they got him on a really good deal. Um, but he's a guy you thought could have turned into a player like that, right? Yeah. Um, when you look at Giannis, uh, is he the best we've ever seen? I mean, it seems like he is at that size of handling and the fact that he's totally still overcome the fact that he's not a very good consistent shooter where even though guys are are laying off of him, he can get to the rim. So do you think, is he the best most, I don't know, special of these tall dribblers that we've ever seen? Yeah. I mean, look, everybody else that height has basically been a power forward or center except KD. And he's more of a, I mean, he's obviously a very good passer, but he's not like a primary initiator distributor type which is different than what Giannis can do on his team so I mean in that role yeah I mean obviously there's other guys that size that have been better players but I think you know of guys that are 6'11 7 foot whatever it is I don't think there's even been another guy that's like a point guard that's what makes him so unusual what are you expecting from the urban myth that is Ben Simmons is he's going to slide into the same thing is he is he a guy you would like to build around yeah, I mean, I think that's why he's such an interesting player, too. Like, I, I'm really interested in seeing how that works. I think him and Fultz, essentially, as their backcourt offensively is really interesting. And then, obviously, you know, J.J. would be out there as well as, like, a wing shooter. Um, but I think it's good that they got the point guard that they think can play both on and off the ball because, obviously, Simmons is going to have the ball in his hands a bunch. And... You know, that LSU team was garbage that he was on, but I don't care. Like, he's he's really <laughs> good. And that type of skill set to me is so interesting. And I think if he was the bouncy athlete Giannis was, I'd be even more excited about him than I already am. But I'm pretty excited to see what he can do anyway. Yeah, I'm real excited. I, I only saw him last year at Summer League. It was the only time I saw him play. And I, I was, again similar to Lonzo ball this year, just like really intrigued with the way he passed guys open the way, you know, he Mm -hmm. created the, the the way he created those mismatches, you know, and not knowing who should guard him. But I also have memories of him like airballing 12 footers. So so, (laughs) there was one game where he like refused to take a jumper. And then another game where he took like 10 of them. I remember like being at those games last year too. Well, you don't, you don't have to talk about Nick specifically, but how, how did being a tall dribbler, how come it didn't work out for my boy, Tony Roten? Um, because 
he was a tall dribbler, not a tall like offensive initiator. Like all he did was try to drive to the basket himself. I don't think he ever shot outside like the immediate area of the basket. And even when he drove, he wasn't very good at finishing and he didn't pass and he wasn't good at defense. So I think think that's enough explanations. He did. Uh, In his defense, he let them fly from downtown. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he, uh, he, he was getting shots up. I, I I have a, I have a soft spot in my heart for Tony Roten, a a guy that Grizzlies never even tried to play. Uh, And then I'm worried he got spoiled with the freedom that being on the tanking Sixers allowed him. He's still younger than Malcolm Brogdon though. Just throwing that out there. Is he really? Yeah, I make the, I make I, I make one one of the jokes I make on our podcast all the time is uh like that guy's older than Tony Roten and a lot of time it's not true that I say it but actually Malcolm Brogdon is uh, I think like a month or two older they're both twenty four still and only twenty four he was <laughs> in the league for like five years I know I think he was drafted when he was eighteen he was like the youngest he was so young when he came out of Washington uh yeah so um oh man. I hope, I mean, maybe he could be the youngest big three player ever next year. That would be pretty, <laughs> that'd be pretty cool. All right. Let's talk about guys who, who play angry. So I'm not, I'm not sure who all fits in this category. The obvious one is Russell Westbrook. Uh, so tell me about guys who play angry. Yeah. I mean, Russ is my favorite player. That should come as no surprise. Um, Draymond right now is probably like my second favorite guy in the league. He plays angry. Um, you mentioned in the email, we, uh, we're discussing this podcast, Tony Allen. He plays angry. Oh, I wasn't even um, thinking about him for playing angry, but okay. All right. Yeah. Um, John Wall plays angry sometimes. Like you can see when he gets angry at the end of the game and whatnot, he starts yelling at the crowd. So I like that. Um, who else? Uh, Marquise Chris from the Suns is an angry dude. He it seems like he's like always trying to start a fight with somebody. Okay. So I, how do you, I actually wrote down Marquise Chris and I want to know, how do you define angry? How do you separate it from guys who are just seem maybe like they're jerks that may or may not be Marquise Chris? That's a good question. I don't really know how a different, I guess it's like a, you know it when you see it kind of situation. That's what I thought. I wrote that too. Is it just like pornography? Like Matt, <laughs> Matt Barnes yeah. is kind of like a jerk. Like yes. He, he doesn't play angry, <laughs> but yeah, you, you can you can angry. tell you can tell Matt Barnes has the cool headedness of a sociopath. Like <laughs> you know, like he's instigating. He's not angry. You know, like yes. you can tell you can you, you can tell he's always calm. Like what about what and about like Ron Artest? Played yeah, angry. He wasn't like you know. Yeah, Dennis Rodman played angry. Interesting. I say I think of him. My I think of Dennis Rodman as more of just like high motor. I don't again, and I don't know if it's just basing it on facial expression. Like Russell Westbrook has such that defining scowl and and yeah. the combination of the explosive athleticism. We're like that guy's angry, and when he dunks, you know, he has those those profound dunks that go like straight down, and you're like, wow, that's an that's an angry player. When you're refereeing, I remember this from high school. Uh, if someone wants to play angry, that's the hardest thing to ref because mm. like like he's just like oh, and you, when you watch an NBA game, you say okay, Russell Westbrook is going to slam into someone on this play. And so, so, so it, makes it, it makes it difficult. Are you aware of the like, team no charge, people who think we should get rid of charges in, in basketball? One, because of, of uh, so the, the injury element. Indirect uh, opposition to that is team play angry because if there's no charges, like, 
I guess that's kind of the end of defense. So, so how, how would you I would balance think those that things? They would be, I think the team angry would be in favor of getting rid of charges because it would allow them to just barrel over people. Right. Well then, but then how would you, how would you advise the defense to play? You're, you're willing to accept a world where if a large man is barreling towards the basket, that's just good for everybody. Like he's, he's going to, some good's going to happen. If the defense doesn't yeah. want to get hurt, get out of the way. Oh, I think it's more that they wouldn't be in position to be bowled over because they wouldn't be trying to take a charge if charges didn't exist. Right. So they wouldn't be getting run over. They would just be trying to challenge the shot. Well, so it, like if LeBron James is running full speed on a fast break, you're just saying you should just try to block the shot and uh, it, whoever he knocks away is just a acceptable uh, casualty. Doesn't that seem better than a guy just trying to like fall down when LeBron hits him? I think there is a, I think there is a middle ground. I don't think it's either or. I, <laughs> I, I, I think, I mean, I'm more, I don't think you should be able to do plays that you wouldn't do in pickup basketball, which, which cuts out a lot of charges. Like you can't take a charge at half court in pickup basketball. You'll be asked to leave. Like, <laughs> uh, so like if you're picking up a guy full court, no, I don't think that even should be able to be allowed to stop moving. But I also don't think the offense should be able to initiate any contact they want. Like I, w- I would much rather see the person who instigates contact be called for the foul most of the time. Right. But this is where it comes in that if you're not, if charges don't exist, right, then nobody's trying to draw them. So the situation where somebody's like instigating the contact and you have to determine who did that to determine whether it's a charge doesn't exist anymore. It's just a world where that, like, that line isn't there because there's no situation where it would ever happen. And instead of being, you know, contact being initiated, it's two guys jumping and one guy trying to finish around him or but, over him or through what, him. What about the player? What about the the driver, say James Harden, who's just going to throw his shoulder into the guy who's perfectly squared up and that knocks him back and then he has a layup. So you're just saying that's fine. Let's just play on. That's, that's, a, that's a good move. Yeah, if it's like a little bit of a shoulder dip, I don't think that's a big thing. I mean, we see that all the time. That goes uncalled anyway. This for me, this is the this is the path towards the James Con rollerball future, where uh, <laughs> where where any, anything is legal on, as long as you're possessing the ball. So I'm not I'm not sure I'm I'm not I'm not there yet. I'm all for James Con. So <laughs> it also seems to be a, a, an even more. I guess everyone already is at a disadvantage. I was thinking it seems more of a disadvantage for those of us who don't have. A, a unique, angry, giant uh, ball handling uh, guy. So, so look at some of these teams that actually, so, so they don't have a, a super good player. You wrote an article recently about all the possibly really bad teams coming up in the 2017-18 season. And you're pointing out it's kind of unique to have a lot of teams under 30 wins, which was your, your definition of being bad. So, uh, so what do we have to look forward to this season? Is it going to be a whole, like a couple of good teams and then just a bunch of terrible teams? Yeah, I think so. Um, it seems more stratified than it's been in years past. Like there's especially like a few playoff teams from last season that are just going to be terrible, mm-hmm. like the Hawks and the Bulls and, you know, maybe even the Pacers. And then you've got like the bottom of the East from last year really didn't get any better. Uh, you know, other than the Sixers, but you know, the Nets, the Magic, the Knicks, they're all going to be really bad. The Lakers and Suns will probably still be really bad. The Kings, maybe the Mavs, if you know, if Dennis Smith doesn't vault them all the way up to the standings, like they could still be pretty bad. There's a bunch of teams, and and by the way, all of those teams had Vegas over unders of 30 wins or fewer. 
So like that's like nine or ten teams, which is crazy. And you know, some people in response to the article brought up a good point that you know these teams are all going to play each other, so they're likely to get you know at least a few wins there. So they'd have to be really bad against the rest of the league in order to win fewer than thirty. And like, yeah, that's true. But also, they're going to be really bad against the rest of the league. Like these teams are terrible. Yeah. Do you think that? It seems like to have all these under 30 win teams because of the other teams being kind of mediocre, we're going to need a couple of super elite teams like the Warriors. Yeah, they can win 70. It seems like maybe the Cavs aren't going to win. seven. you know, like they, they only won what, yeah, like no. 52 or something last year. I can't remember what they won, but they, I think they, they were 51. Yeah. So like they, they, and they've seemed to have gotten worse, you know, a year older and haven't really added that, that much help depending on your views of Jeff Green and Derek Rose. The, uh, but then like the Spurs, like they might be worse. My, my wonder is if there's going to be enough super good teams that can consistently knock off these teams, even though there's terrible, like to make this again, historic, if it's nine teams under 30 wins. Yeah. I think that you could see more teams getting into like the 40 to 50 range than there were last year. Like everybody that isn't really bad gets up into the forties rather than some of them being in, you know, the mid to low thirties just because they can beat all of those really bad teams. But also, you know, you're going to see a team like the Timberwolves take like a 15 win jump or something like that. I think they only won like 30, 31 games last year. Like that's already a bunch of wins that weren't there last year. The nuggets should be better. Uh, Who else? Like uh, I think the bucks should be better. The Heat, the, well, I think, like, the, the Hornets, the Bucks are the te- are one of those teams where they should be better in my mind. Based, they should be better record wise based on all these other teams just being bad. Like mm-hmm. I don't, I don't feel like they've done much. I mean, hopefully Jabari Parker comes back and they get a year full of Chris Middleton, you know. But they're one of those teams. I think it's going to benefit from all these teams under them just being quite bad. Yeah. Oh no, I agree. Um, you know, plus you know another year of Giannis and whatever, and uh, you know, there's I think the Hornets should be better. Yeah. So there's another team that that only had like 30 something wins last season. Um, you know, I think the Rockets could take a leap. They won, I think, like 55 last year. Maybe they could push to 60 or something like that. Yeah, I think the Thunder also could maybe pick up five, six wins. You know, I think the the, the Paul yeah, George. It's thing. interesting with the Thunder because obviously they added Paul George, so they should be a better team overall. But if I'm remembering correctly, their point differential last year was like five or six wins worse than their actual win loss record. They had like the best clutch time rate of any team in the league. So they could be a better team and still have like a similar record. And that's, that's the question. Uh, Cause that was all Russ Westbrook hitting, you know, 40 foot buzzer beaters and, and things and his incredible usage and shooting percentage in clutch situations. Also the, uh, the Celtics were the same thing with Isaiah Thomas. They, they perform, I think five wins over mm-hmm. th- th- they're expected. I'm um, looking at some of these b- bad teams R- right now. I think the worst teams are probably uh, Orlando is in there. Um, but then mm-hmm. we have the, you know, the Knicks, the Lakers, the Kings, the Hawks, the Suns, the Nets, the Bulls. Are any of those teams going to actually overtly tank? Like, I think the Bulls might tank, but are any are any of the other ones, do you think, like just going to straight up die for the draft pick? That's an interesting question. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems like the Bulls are a pretty obvious candidate. Um, the Suns, I guess, own their pick and Miami's pick. Mm-hmm. Um which I think Miami's is top 10 protected, I think, which means they'll probably get it. Um, you know, the Kings should tank this year, but they signed 
Zebo, Zach Randall, or sorry, Zebo, Zach, Zebo, and George Hill. Um, so and Vince, so they're not really in position to like tank all the way toward the bottom. That could be stealth tank. That could that could be stealth tank. That's I true. mean, I'm um, I'm hoping if I'm a Kings fan, I'm hoping George Hill is moved by the trade deadline for something, and then 30 minutes of Zebo stealth tank. Yeah, I mean, look, that's um, this is the year they own their pick before they don't. Yeah. in 2019 so thanks to that wonderful sauce castillo trade <laughs> um yeah i mean look the teams that tank don't necessarily tank the entire season like right. obviously we know for the most part which teams are going to be pretty bad and then once it becomes apparent exactly how bad that's when we find out who's really going to tank toward the bottom right yeah it seems like the it seems like the magic you know kind of should but I don't think their fan base and ownership has the stomach for it because they've been bad for so long, and it's kind of embarrassing. But I don't. Yeah, they're in. They might be in the worst position of any team in the league right now. Like they're bad and capped out and not bad enough to get the top of the draft. Yeah. Like they, they. I don't know how they get significantly better. Yeah. No, they, 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 they have a mess. Uh, and like the Suns too. Like the Suns. If you look at them objectively in a in a vacuum for just this season, you're like, oh, a lot of young guys, you guys should tank again. But they've been so bad, and mm-hmm. they act like they have build, their building blocks there. Like, you know, we'll build our team around Devin Booker. Like, we like Josh Jackson. Let's, let's build some stuff where it seems weird to, to outwardly tank. Also, the NBA has apparently going to pass rules that you can't rest healthy guys, so you can't just sit out Eric Bledsoe and Tyson Chandler and Jared Dudley I guess you can get them yeah. de- coaches' decisions. You know, I was going <laughs> to say like they have a very stratified roster too. Like they have, I think, nine guys drafted in the last like three years in the top thirty-five picks. But then they have like three veterans that could be really useful on good teams, and they're like good trade chips that they should be able to get something for. But then, like, do you want a team where it's like all guys that are twenty-five and under? You know, so it's an interesting balancing act because those three guys, like, they serve no purpose on a team like this Suns team. Um, but I don't know if you could get rid of all of them. Yeah, it would be it would be tough. And then you have like the Lakers and Nets who don't own their pick, so you assume they're going to be trying for wins. But then again, last year, like the Nets tanked even though they didn't have a pick. Like, <laughs> well, it was more like they just weren't good. Like they didn't, you know, purposefully lose sixty whatever games last year. They just weren't good i still have a bad taste in my mouth when they they didn't play their players the last game of the season like they set out brooke lopez last few games of the season mm -hmm. i remember it affecting that the bulls and heat playoff race there there was something where the nets like yeah we're not playing our good players and it's like what in the world but would you be in favor um so kind of closing up i'm i hate tanking i hate the idea that there's a sports league that doesn't reward winning would you be in favor of some kind of split of the revenue share based on where you finish, like regular season wise, like similar to the Premier League table, where the amount of money you get is directly tied to where you finished? Like, I think all these teams at the bottom of the league should be trying to win games. Like, I think you should be able to win games with the resources the NBA allots every team. You should be able to win 30 games. So, like, would you be in favor of something where the league revenue that's distributed to all the teams is is tiered based on where they finish? Um, no, because, like, I, I agree teams should try to win games. I don't like when teams go out there and try to lose. But also sometimes teams are just bad. 
Like, yeah. I don't think you should be financially punished for being bad. Like, you're not necessarily bad on purpose, you know? Like, sometimes things just work out that way. Like, a few years ago when uh, the Bucks thought they were going to be a playoff team, they won, like, 17 games. Like, does that mean that they should have gotten no money? Like, they didn't do it on purpose, you know? Um, so, so to me, it's uh, – if there were a way to single out the teams that are losing on purpose then sure but i don't think there is realistically a way to do that so i don't think it's necessary like i could see the argument for it because obviously i agree teams should try to win games and you know it's it sucks when teams shut their guys down like the the suns did last year or the nets did for that final game and it affected a playoff spot but uh i don't know like there's too much parsing of whether they're doing it on purpose or not I think it's just when you when your team for me as a fan when they're going through their offseason and it's like we could get better by adding good players but we choose not to because we hope to maybe be a championship contender like a pipe dream of a championship contender in 3 years for me as a sports fan I'm like what well, let's just try to win some games like we're not all going to beat the warriors like we can't have nine teams and that's the funny thing about this year is it's going to be hard to tank cuz there's so many bad teams like are you going to tank and finish with the 8th pick like that's a wasted year of of your fans and, and your franchise so sure but is it better to finish with the 13th pick if you win 35 games i would say yeah i would say if your fans get to watch tv I mean, either, and, and you have a chance to win bad. you know yeah well either way you're a bad team and you're not going to the playoffs and you get a worse draft pick 35 that, that wins seem better well, I, I agree that I would also like if, if I was uh, the, you know, the dictator in charge of the NBA, uh, the draft wouldn't be based on your exact win loss. You know, it, it would hurt those teams like the Bucks who did end up winning 17 games and weren't necessarily trying to be completely awful. But like, I, I think you should somehow your draft pick should be based to the amount of games that you win. There's a theory. I think uh, there's a there's an idea of when you're mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, then those wins that you get, any win you get after right, you're mathematically eliminated, like, like sure. that earns you lottery balls, I'd, I'd be way in favor of that favor. Yes, it would hurt the teams that have, you know, legitimately bad luck and things don't work out. But hey, like, I, I'd, that I'd, I'd rather that be the, the case. Best, that would also hurt the best of the non-playoff teams. If yeah. you're eliminated on the last day of the season, then you you can't add any wins after right. You and so in that situation, you would have a thing where I think you'd have a minimum number. Like everyone would get a minimum number. You know, like mm. so you, so you wouldn't be totally shut out. Uh, there's tweaks to be made. It's confusing, but I, I think yeah. anything is slightly better than, especially now, better than no one is catching the Warriors. Is the what everyone's thinking? So let's not even try. Which I think a lot of these franchises are doing. I, I appreciate yeah, the teams I, that I are going for it. I would agree that there are. There are some teams that did that, but then you got teams like the Rockets who were completely going for it, you know? So there's, and the Celtics who were trying to do both at the same time. Um, so yeah. there's, there's, there's different strategies people are pursuing. You know, the one thing I'd say as far as, you know, teams that don't necessarily like add players in the summer to try to get better the next year so they could try to be better down the road is, like if you're not going to be good either way, trying to be a little bit better right now could really hamper you from being any good at all down the road. Look at the Knicks who right. tried to be a little bit better last year to get to the playoffs and now they're screwed with Joe Kim Noah's contract and all these other contracts that they have. Like it, there's a, a tough balancing act to be had to be struck there between like 
wanting to improve every year, wanting to put a good product on the floor and hampering yourself for a really long time from being able to do that because you try to get better, but you can't because either the players that you're trying to pursue are flawed or because the players that you actually need won't sign with your team because you're not good enough. And, you know, sometimes it is better to just take the path of least resistance. I, I mean, I wasn't going to mention the Knicks, but you brought it up. No, but I'm not, I'm not advocating dropping four-year, $80 million contracts on guys. I'm just saying if you're bad, if you have a player who can help you, sign them for a year. Like, like, like get them on there. Or, or play your best players. Like, have the incentive to entertain your fans. You know, if you can win 31, 32 games, like, that's good. Well, anyway, hey, Jared, thanks so much uh, for your time. Hey, last thing, uh, who's your favorite all-time Sports Night character? I know you're a big Sports Night fan. Oh, yeah. Um, I would say oh, – this is tough. Um, I guess Dan. Okay, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I really like Josh Charles, and you know, I feel like it's if it's like your favorite character, it's got to be Dan or Casey because they're like the the star-type characters of the show. I mm-hmm. will say I was not a fan of Dana. Um, oh. Yeah, uh, the dating plan is the worst – plot idea in the history of a good tv show don't don't uh, blame da- don't blame dana you gotta blame aaron sorkin for that one i mean yeah, but-, but it was still her character put it into like obviously it's an aaron sorkin idea but dana's the one that yeah. put it into motion and it made like no sense at all um and it was she was also one of like sorkin's professionally competent but a mess everywhere else women yeah that like i'm sure that there are people like this exist somewhere but he took it to such extremes with her where like she was a great producer of the show but literally clueless on how to do anything else in life including like talk to people right which doesn't make sense for such a professionally competent woman and like i thought natalie was a much better balance of like professionally competent woman who had like a little bit of mess in her life because she was a weird person yeah and it's, it's also tough in retrospect after we've seen all of aaron sorkin's output since sports right. night then you look at the women you're like he just really likes writing flaws you know like giant flaws. so, like, so the first time we flaws. saw the first time we saw him it was more like oh this is cute this is funny this is a good character and then you're like right. oh there's always these women have so many problems <laughs> in his, oh yeah and look, I mean, everybody's a favorite. Like, Isaac was obviously such a great character. Jeremy's a great character. Yeah. Even though, like, the supporting characters, like Elliot and Kim and all of them. Um, that was a great show. Yeah, really is. One of my favorites. Anyway, hey, Jared, thanks for taking time to talk to us. Do you got anything you need to plug? Uh, yeah, you know, my work will be around uh, all over the place. Uh, I put it out on Twitter and on my website, which you can find in my Twitter bio. So that's Dubin 5 And, um... Yeah, I'll be around as usual. That sounds great, Jared. Uh, Thanks for taking time. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks to Jared for coming on. All you guys, thanks for checking us out. Make sure you subscribe and write those five-star reviews. If you guys want to support our program, you can go to patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. We really appreciate all of you who have done that. It means a lot to us. All right, you can follow us on Twitter at Fast Break Break. Like us on Facebook. You guys are the best. Thanks for listening. And remember, breakfast is the most important thing. Yeah, never apologize for being TNG. Fast Break Break, man. You understand?
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.